Welcome to the Stronger Than Steel podcast with your host, Austin Davidson and John Keir, talking Steelers all the time. Now, here's Austin and John. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Stronger Than Steel podcast, season six, episode 32. Today, Austin and I are back renewing the oldest rivalry in the AFC North, in the AFC in general, between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cleveland Browns. My name is John Keir, and uh, joining me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Austin Davidson. Hey, yo. How you doing, Austin? Been a, been a little while. We had the bye week, uh, separate previews, or sorry, recaps of the game against the Seahawks. I uh, had a little bit of time to digest that game and a little bit of action throughout the NFL in week seven. Never met a bye week I didn't like, except for the one last year. But the Steelers uh, using the opportunity to get a little bit healthier over the week and uh, saw some interesting things unfold last week in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, it was a wild week. And digesting that win for the bye week, going taking a win before going into a bye week is always nice. You get some time to rest up after it. And the Steelers are relatively healthy coming out. So it's been a, it's been a good week. It was a good week seven for the Steelers. Yeah, and why don't we touch a little bit on those injuries. So, obviously, they're not 100% healthy. You know, no Tyson Alualu, no Juju Smith-Schuster for the season, presumably. Stefan Tuit is still on injured reserve. But there were a few moves made, and uh, I guess why don't we start by mentioning that running back Anthony McFarland was activated off of injured reserve, designated to return. He is now back with the team and has practiced in full both on Wednesday and Thursday, so it looks like he will be off the injury report uh, following today's practice. And uh, also Zach Banner, who had previously been activated, has been a full participant each of the last two days, so they're basically only listed on the injury report in a superficial uh, manner. And beyond that, Ben Roethlisberger actually practiced on Wednesday. I don't know the last time that happened, Austin, but he was limited on Wednesday and was full yesterday, so I assume he's going to be good to go. And besides that, uh, Chase Claypool was limited with a hamstring injury on Wednesday and was full today, so hopefully he should be good to go. Melvin Ingram, and we'll have lots to talk about with him, he's been limited in practice the last two days, and Eric Ebron popped up yesterday with a limited participation with a hamstring injury, so... Uh, I mean, we can touch on any one of those, but obviously McFarland being activated is maybe not the biggest of deals, but it's one that should be important nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, having anyone come back from the injured reserve is a good thing. Uh, I, I like what Anthony McFarland provides. I think that he's actually the change of pace uh, back that you do need because he's actually providing something different than like Benny Snell or uh, uh, Kellen Balage, because both Balage and... And uh, Snell's skill sets are both covered kind of by just Najee. That's it. Uh, McFarland, though, has more speed. McFarland actually has something that uh, Najee doesn't. The other two don't have that speed. I mean, Najee is basically the same speed as them, if not faster. So I, I really like the uh, that McFarland's back to give Najee a little bit more rest and that <laughs> Benny Snell might not come in. I mean, Benny Snell is probably still the number two, but he was regulated to... Just special teams, I think, against the Seahawks. Yeah, by all accounts, Kalen Balaj kind of took his spot as the primary backup this past week. And you might wonder, well, what happened? Did one of those one of those guys get uh, you know cut? And well, actually, the answer is no. 
neither of those two running backs that we figured could be released were. As a matter of fact, the only running back released from this team was actually Jalen Samuels from the practice squad. And he has since signed with the Houston Texans practice squad. So, uh, former fifth round pick out the door. And uh, in a corresponding move on the practice squad, the Steelers ended up signing uh, Chris Slayton, a defensive lineman I looked at out of Syracuse a couple years ago. Kind of the traditional five-tech defensive lineman. And as far as the active roster goes, defensive tackle Carlos Davis, who we thought for weeks had been finally getting healthy and should have been put on injured reserve like a month and a half ago, has finally been placed on injured reserve. And I have to imagine it's been a frustrating season for him. And in the eyes of the coaching staff, this could be a situation where Davis could end up being out for who knows how long he might not play again this season and going into next year i think he might be fighting for a roster spot assuming he doesn't come back yeah it just sucks like the steelers were probably should have put him on ir originally and then he finally got started to be practicing he was a limited participant uh prior to the seahawks game but then they're like nah he's out though like he was limited all week and then they ruled him out uh, and then it was like, all right, well, probably uh, after the bye, he'll come back. And now they put him on IR. So who I, who knows what the injury is? Who well, exactly what it is anyway. And then who knows how long he will come? Uh, it will take for him to come back. I we might not see him the rest of the season. They might shut him down because they might fi- they might see him as unnecessary because they wanted McFarland instead, uh, and they wanted all their running backs instead. They didn't. They opted to cut uh, to put him on IR rather than cutting one of the uh, running backs. So. Uh, it is what it is. It's unfortunate for uh, a young player, but I guess it'd just be like that sometimes. And then uh, also to make note of is the injury to Stefan Tuitt. There's uh, no no real clear update from Mike Tomlin, but he did address it and say that his return is not imminent. Now, I don't know that that means he's, he's going to be not playing at all this season, but I think what it means is that he's not going to be playing, you know, this week or next week. Uh, we know that Tuit has not played or really even practiced since the last time the Steelers played the Browns, you know, eight, nine months ago. And after the uh, tragic loss of his brother over the offseason and uh, an injury that he suffered uh, to his knee, uh, I believe uh, early preseason, uh, there hasn't really been any news regarding him, but based on the fact he hasn't practiced or really trained at all, you'd have to imagine he's going to need the full three-week window to prepare once he is a full go. And we did see him working, pictures of him working on the side, so he's finally getting some work in. But it might be several weeks before he even gets uh, the chance to start practicing again, which means we might not see Stefan to it earliest, I would imagine, until a little before Thanksgiving, probably more realistically around Thanksgiving. And that's a, that's a difficult pill to swallow. Yeah, it makes it a little bit easier that Chris Wormley has played somewhat well, I I, I would say, but uh, definitely not at to its level. To it's a different kind of of beast, so it sucks that we might not be seeing him until around Thanksgiving, if at all. I mean, kind of at this point, I'm I'm thinking I'm not sure he's even going to come back at all this this year, but and that would really stink because he's a really good player, but uh, hopefully he will come back and even having him down the stretch from like week 11 or week 12 going forward, that would be good enough. It would help the Steelers with, with a run towards the end of the year. 
Elsewhere, besides that, the injuries currently listed on the injury report, uh, I figured we could probably discuss, we talked a little bit about Anthony McFarland a minute ago, but the way that these running backs could be used, McFarland being possibly a more natural change of pace guy, I do think as much as the Steelers have used Najee Harris and I have appreciated that they've stuck with it, I do think that there comes a point where you're going to have to take away a little bit of his workload if you want him to last throughout the season, uh, especially with how much he's touched the ball early on this year. I think you've got to be able to cut down his workload a little bit. Even after the bye week, Harris is fourth in overall touches and is just three, sorry, tied for third in overall touches with with 136 and is three off of Alvin Kamara, who has 139. The only person who's beyond that is Derrick Henry because he's not human and has 209. But uh, I don't think it's fair to judge Harris against uh, Henry at this point. But the point is he's touching the ball a lot, and I think that at some point you've got to look at scaling that down a bit. Yeah, you definitely can't have uh, – running backs are already – they don't last a very long time. You can't have him touching the ball already this much in just his first season. I mean, you get about six years out of a running back, maybe seven, if you're able to, obviously, if you're able to get him past his first contract, which at, at this point, you really, as I say, you don't really even pay running backs. So uh, I, I don't, you don't want to run off his wheels year one. You want him to kind of last at least a little bit longer. So uh, it'll be nice to take some heat off of Najee Harris's knees and feet. All right, um, I wanted to touch on Zach Banner, too, because early on in the season when the line was struggling, we were talking a lot about how can we improve this offensive line. And, well, the, the last two to three weeks, they, it actually has played improved football, I think even better than we expected uh, the way that they've seemingly have turned the corner. With Zach Banner now being healthy and apparently ready to play, there doesn't seem to be an immediate need for him to play now. And I guess I'm kind of curious as to what you think about his playing time, how the offensive line shakes out. Dan Moore appeared to be injured after the Seahawks game and, in fact, left the game, but he has not been on the injury report. So, you know, left to right, it looks like Moore, uh, Dotson, Green, Turner, and Okorafor. Do you think that there's any chance that Banner gets inserted into the lineup this week? There's a chance. I think that we might see him as the swing tackle again, as he like famously was before he was considered a starter. Uh, but I, I'm not. I'm pretty sure the team is kind of happy where with Chakumo Korfor is at. I think uh, they're happy with where Dan Moore is. I mean, Zach Banner was kind of uh, pr- predicted to be the right tackle, and Chakumo Korfor is supposed to be the left. So it doesn't even quite make sense to take Dan Moore out when. Uh, uh, Zach Banner isn't even really, wasn't really going to be set for that position. I think he'll get some swing work this week, though. I th- I do think that he'll get that over Joe Haig, but we'll see. It, it would be a real shame if after all this, after they decided to pay him four and a half million dollars, uh, over two years, that they don't use him at all. I mean, him being a swing tackle or being relegated to a swing tackle this year already sucks. But I mean. They definitely need to get him on the field for what they paid him. Yeah, not being able to have him available is certainly a tough a tough pill to swallow. But I do think Matt, Matt Canada even said himself 
that banner's availability to be used as that extra tackle and that extra tight end set is something that's on the table. Obviously, that doesn't mean we will see it, but it sounds like it's a possibility. The one thing I will point out, though, is that Banner doesn't really play left tackle, and Joe Haig can play both. So are you going to have a situation where you have four tackles active? I guess that, that would be my main question and kind of thought to play devil's advocate here, because if you have that many tackles active, you probably have to deactivate someone else somewhere else. You know, is it another offensive lineman like J.C. Hassenauer, or do you deactivate another cornerback or linebacker or, or whatever? I think you could roll with three tackles and you can make Joe Haig, uh, you can make Joe Haig uh, the inactive one uh, because you can shift your line around if you have to. As basically coming into the season, Chakumo Okorafor was supposed to be the left tackle and Banner was supposed to be the right. So if there was an injury... That forced, I don't know, that, that, that forced Dan Moore out. You could just kick Chukwumo for there and put Zach Banner at right tackle. You know the team doesn't like to do that, though. They do not. I am skeptical. We got a little breaking news. Uh, not uh, not a big thing, but just in terms of last night with the Packers game, it looks like Robert Tunyon tore his ACL. Oof. That is an oof. <laughs> that team... That team shouldn't have won that game with the weapons they finished with, but good for them. Also, Mark Ingram apparently signed a one-year extension before the Saints deal was made official. Oh, cool. Good for him. Gets to stay in New Orleans again for longer. The Eagles The Eagles have placed Miles Sanders on injured reserve, too. Oh, God, wow. I love Twitter. Wow, there's a lot going on in, like, <laughs> five minutes. <laughs> Those That was, like, I saw, like, ten tweets, and that was three of them right there. Yeah, jeez. It is Kenneth Gainwell season. We have now three starting Memphis running backs and a fourth one that should be a starter in Tony Pollard. Quick, quick trade. Benny Snell and gets Jalen Samuels back on the practice squad. <laughs> Heck yeah. Uh, one last thing I wanted to touch on was the injury to Ben Roethlisberger, the pectoral and hip still listed. I wanted to make note, do you remember last year there was that uh, YouTube series about him? where it showed him kind of rehabbing and coming back from injury. Bigger Than Ben, it was called. Yeah. Apparently, there's a new series this year called Different. And in part three, I, I did a little bit of skimming on it. He talked a little bit about how the the hip injury that he suffered is unlike anything that he's ever experienced in his career. And at this age and at this point in his career, it really did mess with his mechanics. And this was... Uh, this was... I believe going into or following the Packers game. So it sounds like that hit played a big factor in his struggles to connect down the field in that Packers game, which might be a bit of the explanation for why that happened. And beyond that, you know, you'd think that he's hopefully getting a little healthier. Do you have much hope that, it, you know, it, I guess what I'm saying is it can't hurt that he's rested and it's probably a little less painful. So he might be able to, maybe not have a huge improvement in terms of connecting down the field, but maybe there's a little hope that he'll have somewhat improved connectability down there. Yeah, I'm not sure because the injury is still listed, so that makes me think it's still bothering him. And so I don't think that the one week is really going to make much of a difference if the if he's still listed on the injury report for it. Indeed. All I, you know, we can live in hope, right? I yes. Mean, uh, I don't know. 
I'm I'm starting to wonder if uh, it just says pectoral hip, and I'm just waiting for it to say everything. That's coming next week after the Browns game when Miles Garrett eats him yeah. five times. Yeah, we're gonna have plenty of chances to talk about that. But for as clean as the Steelers injury report is, the Browns have had quite a bit of injury news to talk about. And why don't we start with Baker Mayfield, who, according to Ian Rappaport, just before we started recording. He was medically cleared to play in this game last night, and obviously he did not play against the Broncos in their Thursday night win last week, and he's been dealing with that shoulder injury that he suffered against the Houston Texans, so he's technically cleared and has full range of motion now, but the fact that he's still on the injury report, and by all accounts it's something that could be re-injured, he's good to go now, but he might not be uh, throughout the course of the season, but he will be playing on Sunday. Elsewhere, several guys have been on the injury report, including guys like Jarvis Landry with a knee injury. Uh, Tack McKinley has a groin injury. J.C. Treader has a knee injury and didn't practice on Tuesday. Jedrick Wills is still dealing with that ankle injury. Uh, uh, why am I blanking on the cornerbacks? Denzel Ward has got a hamstring. Yeah, Denzel Ward, OBJ, has the shoulder injury. They have no Kareem Hunt. Uh, Nick Chubb has a calf injury. Jadevian Clowney, you ready for this? He's got an ankle, groin, and knee. <laughs> Jack Conklin has a knee injury. So the Browns, even though they had not a full bye week like Pittsburgh had, you know, the usual disparity between a team coming off a bye and a team that's playing a regular week. Well, the Browns had a somewhat extended time off since they played last week on a Thursday, but they're clearly still feeling a bunch of injuries and I guess, you know, they didn't have a bye week, but the long week came uh, at the perfect time for them. But they're still going to be quite banged up going into this one. We obviously aren't familiar or knowing of the availability of all these players entirely because they should be practicing right now as we speak. So we won't know the game statuses of these guys until probably today or tom- I guess tomorrow technically. So, But in the meantime, these are definitely two, two teams – facing different situations in terms of injury. Yeah. Uh, the only one that I know is playing is Jarvis Landry came out and said he is playing. He said he's playing Sunday no matter what. So uh, I, I'll take that as as one of the few things. But everyone else, it's like I, it's it's really hard to tell. It does not look like Denzel Ward is going to be going. Uh, J.C. Trotter took a step back on, on uh, Thursday, and it, it, it might it, it, we'll have to see what happens with him. OBJ, I don't think will play. Uh, Nick Chubb is possible. It's all not going to get a full workload for sure. Yeah, I mean you're going to see some of uh, AAF legend Dearness Johnson for sure, because uh, the Browns like splitting their running backs anyway, with regardless of if Kareem Hunt's there or not. So yeah, it's just going to be tough. On later today, we'll have a better picture on who's going to be there and who won't be for for the Browns. I mean. If they're down J.C. Treader and Jedrick Willis, uh, that would be, uh, and then also Jack Conklin. Ty Conklin. Too. Yeah, that oh, that would be Ty a Conklin. Jack Conklin. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be a huge loss to their offensive line. Like that, they would that would be really big for the, on the Steelers side uh, to go against an offensive line without those three because those are basically their. I I guess they can't. I was gonna say their three best. They're all just really good because Wyatt Teller is actually probably their best. And uh, Joel Batonio is actually solid. I don't. It's just it's it a really helps. Good offensive line. Yeah, they have a really good offensive line. 
as we saw last uh, January. Also, uh, Jadevian Clowney at this point looks like he's probably not going to play Donovan Peoples-Jones. I mean, again, we, we don't know for sure, but based on the way things are trending, that's kind of where we can where we can play that dangerous game of speculating. Yeah. So, all right. Well, uh, why don't we get into some Steelers news? Did you watch or get to hear anything about the uh, Mike Tomlin uh, to USC slash LSU rumors? And uh, did you pay any attention to all that? I did. I saw his his answer. Never say never, but never. (laughs) I liked it. It was really funny. So... Over the last week or so, Carson Palmer, Ryan Clark, uh, Doug Whaley, former Buffalo Bills general manager, all they didn't necessarily say that Mike Tomlin is a guy that's going to be looked at or said to be a head coaching candidate for these teams. Ryan Clark, I believe, actually just said that if he were with LSU, he'd make he'd make Mike Tomlin an offer so great that it would be disrespectful to Lord baby Jesus himself or something <laughs> like that. If he refused it. So, uh, colorful hyperbole aside, uh, Mike Tomlin had been coming up, uh, you know, in the land of social media where stuff spreads and gets exaggerated like wildfire, uh, over the bye week it, it all of a sudden was sounding like people was picking up steam. So Mike Tomlin was asked the question and, uh, you know, I got to give a shout out to Tim Benz of the Pittsburgh Tribune Review for stepping into that buzzsaw and setting Mike Tomlin off because someone had to, had to do it, and uh, he was the unlucky person that bore the brunt of Mike Tomlin's apparent rage. And generally, when you hear a coach say, "Oh, I'm not going to do that," remember Nick Saban did that at my with Miami several. You know, I say several like 15 years ago, and then three weeks later he was coaching in uh, Alabama. But I find it hard to not believe Mike Tomlin. I know that. These college teams can probably pay Mike Tomlin a lot more than the Steelers are paying him, but at the same time, would you would you turn that like turn away from a team that's paying you five million over five years that you know you're gonna get, or would you go to a team where you could make twenty seven million over the next three years, but there's no guarantee you make it past year two? Yeah, I mean. Tomlin's been in this space for a very long time now, since 2007. I mean, I think he feels comfortable in his role. I think if somehow he got fired from the Steelers, he'd still find a role in the NFL. I don't think, I. It, by the sound of it, he just has no interest in, in coaching at the college level anymore. He wants to be with NFL players. He wants to be with the, the best players available. And I, I can't blame him. It's, it's where he's carved out a very good role. I mean, it's why he's been a head coach for such a long time, so... Yeah. All that being said, I don't know about you, but I could envision him being an incredible college coach if that ever came to pass. I'm sure he could. I mean, he's been a really solid uh, NFL coach. I feel like if you're good in the NFL, you might be... I guess it doesn't always translate, but I feel like if you're good in the NFL, you're basically got a good floor to start at at the college level. Well, I, I just mean from the standpoint of even though it's a pain to do, I feel like he'd be an excellent recruiter. I mean, imagine imagine being these young high school kids and having Mike Tomlin come to your house and sell you on the program he's he'd be a part of. I think he'd be great at it. I could see that, yeah. But, you know, he did say never say never, but never. But never is also a long time, Austin. So 
I mean, yes. I'm not I'm not saying it's gonna happen, but if it happened like fifteen years down the road and maybe he decided to, I I'm not saying I'd expect it, but I also might not be surprised either. Yeah, and two is the Dolphins starting quarterback. It all it all happens, you know. Alright. What else did we want to get to here? Do we do we want I guess the only thing left to get to is the Melvin Ingram stuff. You wanna to touch on that? Sure. So last week there were reports that Melvin Ingram was involved in trade talks and that was fine and, and whatever. We just kinda of brushed it off like, okay, well teams are probably inquiring, but like the Steelers don't have aren't the ones going about trading him. Which still might be true. However, things kinda of changed this week. In between last week and this week, the Steelers brought in Whitney Merciless, which was kind of, you know, it was like, well, maybe they are considering trading Melvin Ingram for a reason. Uh, Then this week it came out that Melvin Ingram is unhappy with his role with the Steelers and wants out. He he wants to be traded, and this would make sense why the Steelers, it doesn't sound like they're actively trading him. They received an offer from the Kansas City Chiefs for him, but uh, unfortunately... We don't really know what Melvin Ingram expected. We, it's been everyone's been kind of confused because Melvin Ingram was signed late in the offseason in August. Uh, the Steelers had T.J. Watt, obviously, which Melvin Ingram was never challenging, and then they had Alex Highsmith, who finished the season last year really strong, played really well, and that was their starter. And Ingram was signed to be a depth piece that could rotate in to give those guys breaks. Uh, he played a season low, I believe, twenty six percent of the snaps against the Seahawks. And that just kind of pissed him off. And, and apparently now he wants to be traded. Uh, the Steelers are in control of this situation, so we'll see if he gets traded. They don't like prisoners. They don't want prisoners. So that there, it is more likely that he does get traded by Tuesday. Uh, this upcoming Tuesday is the trade deadline, by the way, to anyone that didn't 4 know 4 p.m., that. I believe, right? Yeah, I think 4 p.m. So uh, we'll basically we'll be looking on, on Monday and... And uh, Tuesday, if that happens, reportedly he did not practice today. Uh, we don't have the full injury report out, but he had a groin injury, as we talked about. But so we'll see if he's active for the the game against the Browns. Uh, it It's going to be tough to tell if it's for injury or if they're just going to try and trade him. And that's why they're keeping him out of the game. But it is something to monitor to see uh, where he's at, if, if he's active for this game or not. Uh, but yeah, do you have anything to add on the Melvin Ingram saga? Well, either way you look at it, someone's probably stupid here. Either Melvin Ingram is stupid for thinking that he would have been the starter, no offense to him, or the Steelers are stupid for telling him he would be more of one. I mean, you gotta understand the situation, and there was either some sort of breakdown in communication or what. I, I don't know, obviously. We're probably not going to know. But the fact of the matter is, this guy has been fantastic depth for this team and has really shined, even though his numbers aren't super strong. You can He passes the eye test. He's played really well whenever he's going you know, forward, not backwards. For some reason, Keith Butler likes to put him in coverage, and I, I, I cannot understand that. But I think he's played really well, and trading him would really hurt this team. And I, I'm not really in favor of it. I understand not wanting to keep guys who don't want to be around like the whole James Harrison situation four years ago, or the, uh, LeGarrette, and you know, I guess LeGarrette Blunt would probably be a good comp, uh, comp for that. If you are going to trade him, you know, the Steelers hold the cards here. They don't have to, uh, I don't know how, you know, I, I I've never heard of Melvin Ingram to be a really big troublemaker. 
I'd hold on to him, but I, I suppose if you get an offer of like a fourth round pick or a pick and a player in return, like a speedy receiver that could take the top off a of defense, I might consider it. But really I'd be I'd be more inclined to just hold you know, hold hold here, not uh not trade Ingram. And furthermore, if you trade him, how pissed off is James Washington gonna be? I mean, do you really wanna uh rob Jimmy to pay Paul here? So I don't uh I wouldn't do it, I guess is what I'm what I'm saying, unless if I got blown away with an offer. Yeah, I wouldn't personally do it either. Uh some names that we float around, we looked at a lot of wide receivers, so since the Kansas City Chiefs made an offer, it made sense to kinda of take a look at their team. McCole Hardman has been a guy that's underperformed uh, their young guy with a, another year left on his contract. He's really fast. Uh, the Apart from them, the Cardinals. The Cardinals have Andy Isabella, and they really want to get rid of him. Also, Christian Kirk. Christian Kirk is probably outside the price range. Christian Kirk is having a career year over in Arizona. He's doing really well. Uh, I had floated that name around when we were talking about trading James Washington prior to the season, and I'd like to... I wish we made that trade because Christian Kirk is absolutely, uh, he's doing really good. I'm trying to think of who, who else we possibly floated around that was fast and needed to be traded. I remember going over the Broncos, but I don't think, oh, Tim Patrick, but he's not fast. We're looking at. I think, I was just going to say, I think Andy Isabella and like a fifth round pick is like the ideal setup because they just lost JJ Watt for the year. So I think that's like the perfect guy you need. Yeah. I, I think that's that's totally f- oh Michael Gallup that that was my my number one Michael if we if the Seals were able to get Michael Gallup that would be huge because obviously they have their three starters in Amari Cooper C D Lamb and then um, Cedric Wilson on yeah. top of that yes yeah, so I'm not sure the Cowboys would want to part with that though I mean how how bad are their edge defenders is my kind of question to that yeah so they are. They were a bottom-tier team in sacks, but I don't think a bottom-tier team in uh, pressure. I don't... Uh, so, yes. Yeah, they're not in the bottom... They, they they must be in the top 12, because in the screenshot I have, they're not in the bottom 13 through 32, Dallas. In pass rush win rate, how about in... in They are in the bottom... They're 15 in run-stop win, win rate. So Dallas doesn't really make sense. Seahawks were also bottom in sacks. But I don't, and I think Seahawks. They are, might be selling too, though. That's the yeah. thing. Like the, you're. The, I really wish the NFL trade deadline was like a few weeks later, because there's. It's kind of early for a trade deadline, to be honest with you. We're not halfway through the season. You know, in baseball, the trade deadline is in like August, July and August, which is like more than halfway through the season. You know, there's like a month left in the season. I don't remember when it is exactly in the NHL and NBA, but I'm pretty sure it's past halfway. We're not even halfway through the NFL season yet. We yeah. just started having bye weeks. Yeah, they should have probably pushed it forward a week to counter counteract it being like an extra week in the NFL now since it's a, it's a little, little bit longer. But, uh, yeah, I wish it happened a little bit later to see where teams were at. Teams could decide better what they were doing. I think the perfect time for it would be right before Thanksgiving. Yep. Uh, Teresa Varley of Steelers.com just tweeted that uh, a quote from Mike Tomlin, quote, I've had some conversations with Melvin, but I'll leave those between he and I. And the reason he didn't work today is because of his groin. So, okay. Mike Tomlin on Melvin Ingram now. He could just be saying that, but that is what he said. So take it or leave it. All right. 
Okay, so nothing really to monitor because, I mean, obviously head coaches lie, but Mike Tomlin's saying it's because of the groin. All right. Makes All right. it harder to trade him, though, too, that he has an injury. Yeah, but are they telling teams, oh, we're just putting him in bubble wrap for you? That's kind of superficial. Don't but, tell anyone. Could be. S- slide them a 20 be like, hey, <laughs> Um, all right. Well, why don't we get into this game? Both teams, three and three and four and three, probably not where they expected they would be going into this season at this point in the year. Uh, Steelers and Browns, the oldest rivalry in the AFC and the Browns have won the last two games. Obviously they won in the season finale of the regular season, which Mason Rudolph started and then won that playoff game in Heinz Field the following week, which, you know, almost a year has passed since that game, Austin, thinking about it. It's, I still think it's the worst loss I can remember from the Mike Tomlin era in terms of playoff losses. I, I know that that team had a lot of issues, but I still come away from that game thinking that there's no reason that should have happened given everyone that the Browns were missing. Yeah, I mean, the Browns didn't even have a head coach for that game. That was, that was a tough pill to swallow, and I mean, it is what it is. The Browns didn't get much further, but you wish that the Steelers still won it coming out of that game because, I mean, there was no reason, especially to lose in that, that regard, going down 28-0 so quick. Just an awful, awful play. In terms of this game, it's obviously very important for both of these teams the Browns and Steelers currently third and fourth in the AFC North. The Browns and Bengals sitting at five and two each and putting some distance between these two teams. The division is not out of the question, but the Bengals have now beaten Baltimore and Pittsburgh in their respective home cities. Convincingly. Uh, Ravens, oh. Yeah, con- convincingly too for both. As a matter of fact, the win over the Ravens was a larger point differential victory than the one o- over the Steelers, which looked like a pretty bad loss for Pittsburgh at the time too. And you know what? I, I guess that, let me ask you that the Steelers have lost to the Raiders who are what? Five and two are the Raiders five and two. They are. They're the second seed. The Packers who are now seven and one and the Bengals who are five and two are all of a sudden they looking a little bit better in your eyes or I, I just think it's a, you know, it is what it is, but some people are trying to push that. Yeah, I mean, the, it, we haven't had a classic, like, really bad loss, I guess it kind of looks like, which is solid and we beat the Bills. But no, I still feel like this offense is just not uh, very good and uh, the defense is just decent enough to get to, like, 9-8-ish, and 8-9-ish. So, uh, yeah, I don't really feel much better, even though those teams are all doing really well. I do think that the Bengals are real now. I think I said that on the last podcast, but I, I the Bengals are, are the real deal. They, they have beat some really quality teams, and I mean, them blowing out the Ravens was basically enough. Certainly validation. Now, when we come back to the Browns here, you, you kind of touched about the Steelers' struggles on offense defensively for the Browns. You know, we just talked about those injuries, Tack McKinley, uh, Jadeveon Clowney, Mac Wilson's hurt, Denzel Ward on the injury report. There's a lot going on, but top to bottom, it is a relatively talented defense, a team that's playing better overall statistically, but is not giving up, is not getting the takeaways that they had last year. They got a ton of sacks, and they're doing a good job of not giving up a ton of yardage, but they're giving up more points. There's a weird disparity where they're 20th in points against, but they're second in yards against. So 
certainly seeming like the opposite of bend but don't break in this situation. Uh, for this Browns defense, they're certainly led by Miles Garrett, and they've got that scary defensive front, but they've invested a lot into their defensive backfield over the last couple of years, and it's been hit and miss at times. Uh, their defensive backfield, you said? Yeah, I'm thinking it's been hit and miss given what happened with the Chargers game. Yeah, I mean, you kind of expect them to play better. They they made some big additions to their defensive backfield this offseason. They, they made it a point because Andrew Sandeo sucked for them, so they were like, we need to improve this. And they thought that they would get better with the with Greedy Williams getting uh, healthy and Grant Delpit getting healthy. They basically made a lot of investments into this secondary in the, in the past two seasons, and they're just not really playing up to snuff. I mean, Denzel Ward is and was, but now he's likely out. Uh, he's... He's hurt with his hamstring injury. But they also added two Rams and Troy Hill and John Johnson and the LSU boys, as I pointed out, and Delpit and, and Williams. And then they just drafted Greg Newsom, who was a guy I looked at in uh, pre-draft this past season. Uh, what did you think about him, by the way? I thought he was solid. I thought he was all Since right. He's looking like the number one corner this weekend, probably. Yeah. I I think that I, I haven't watched enough Brown teams, but I honestly still think he's doing well. I think he's doing a little bit better than I expected because I was like, I was just like, yeah, this guy's okay. I wasn't like super in love with him. wasn't like didn't hate him either. thought he thought he had some room for improvement, but I think he's doing better than I was expecting a little bit. I, I still had I had him as a late first rounder, I, I believe, and I, that's exactly where he went. So I guess he's he's performing about expectation, but yeah, uh, Ronnie Harrison hasn't really been good. I feel like I I feel like I see. People complaining about him on Twitter. I, I, I don't remember. He was. I thought he was really good last year. I thought he he had a really solid year. But yeah, the, uh, the point being is their defensive backfield is not playing up to snuff with all the investments. I mean, these are a lot of first round, second round picks, and then a lot of high touted guys like with the Rams guys, and it's just not working out. Injuries have played a role, but they haven't been as good as I think that they were hoping. Yeah, that, that Chargers game was just kind of an odd situation where they just gave up a ton of explosive plays. Obviously, they got 37 points hung on them by the Cardinals. It's been it's been kind of an odd year where they've had some games where they've given up 6 and 7 and 14 points, and then they've also given up uh, 47, 37, 33. So they've, they've had instances where they played well and instances where they played bad, which I guess probably kind of plays into that odd disparity that they had. And... I guess that is kind of kind of speaks to a larger point that we've seen with the Steelers defensive backfield too. When you add a lot of names over the course of an offseason, expect growing pains, even if it's a talented bunch like the Browns defensive backfield. So we've seen the Steelers have the same issues, and now I don't think they're as talented, but the some of the parts in Cleveland should equal more based on what they've got, and it just hasn't been consistent enough. They've still been busting coverages and even though the Steelers don't have Juju Smith-Schuster for this game, I do think that this could be a pretty solid game for the Steelers receivers just based on how often the Browns seem to be busting coverages. I think that the Steelers will have some opportunities in this game. Now, that doesn't mean I think they're going to put up huge numbers, but I do think that they can be had at the same time. Yeah, they're definitely they're not the best, and they can be taken advantage of. The Steelers wide receivers might be able to uh, beat them if Ben could put it on point. Uh, I think that this isn't one. This isn't the toughest secondary they're going to face all year, especially without Denzel Ward. It should be 
a bunch easier. Ward is the one that scares me the most, because, I mean, Ward had that really good game against Roethlisberger week one uh, a couple of years back. Uh, his first he, career game. Yeah, his first career game. And, uh, I mean, basically the talk was, look at this man who had no college production interceptions, because interceptions don't translate from college to football. And he picked up Ben, I think, what, twice? He had a really... Yeah, the really, one, one was on Jesse James, though. That is true. But... Yeah, still. Uh, he scares me the most, and with him likely not playing, I, I feel a little bit... I feel much more comfortable going against, like, Troy Hill, Greg Newsom, Greedy Williams. I think those are the top three. Uh, I hear they like A.J. Green, the cornerback, who's someone that I looked at... A. Green. Yeah, I, I... Oh, my God, I'm so mad about A.J. Green right now. I don't... I hate that name. Please don't... Wait, so, so you... I need to ask, which one is better, the other A.J. Green or the other Lamar Jackson? Or the other Adrian Peterson? <laughs> There's another Adrian Peterson. This was probably before your time. There was a another Adrian Peterson who was a backup for Chicago for a number of years. I think the the Jets like their Lamar Jackson, <laughs> so I I think I'll go with him. I I heard that the Browns like their AJ Green though as as well. Since since being uh, so, uh I tried googling AJ Green and I sh- I don't know why I thought that would work. I was looking for the Browns one. Oh, man, he's the first one that comes up for the Wikipedia, though. All right. <laughs> They're that down on him, huh? Damn. Yeah. I, I... So the other Adrian Peterson played for the Bears from 2002 to 2009. Uh, lifetime 311 rushes, 1,283 yards, eight touchdowns, 78 receptions, 665 yards, no receiving touchdowns. Again, he was just a backup. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm going to go with... But coexisted with the other Adrian Peterson for three years. Fun fact. <laughs> Great. I'm going to say that so, the Jets' Lamar Jackson is is the, be- is the best of those three. The So the Browns like, have typically played a lot of too high this year, which I think is something that plays into the Steelers' favor with their quick passing game. Now, of course, we that doesn't mean that they will, but... I think it's possible that we see them with a, you know, a secondary that's going to be depleted likely without Denzel Ward and, you know, Greg Newsom having to take likely Deontay Johnson, depending on if they travel or not. And you'll probably see a lot of safety help in this one. I think this could be a good game for Deontay Johnson and Pat Fryermuth over the middle of the field. I think you could see the Steelers passing offense have a little more success when it comes to the receivers than maybe would be typically expected because I do think the Browns, are going to play more of that too high and try to protect those young defensive backs that they have. Yeah, I think that makes sense to, to keep with too high. Uh, too high is better for throwing in the middle of the field as well, I feel better like. Better for this team. Better for yeah. the Steelers. Yeah, because throwing against single high is, is, is kind of tough for the deep middle of the field. So uh, that maybe we'll see more middle of the field passing? Question mark? Probably not. That's but a hope. There's a hope. <laughs> Where this team really makes its hay, though, is in its defensive front, and they are going to be without still JOK Jeremiah Owusu Karamoa. Uh, their, I guess, second round pick, a guy who fell and was playing really well uh, up to this up to this point in the season before his injury. Mac Wilson is injured. Sion Takitaki has been generally a replacement level guy. Anthony Walker, I believe out of uh, Northwestern. Didn't you look at him several years ago? If I did, I don't remember it. <laughs> their, their linebackers without JOK are very reminiscent of the guys that were 
their linebackers the last few years not overly impressive so I guess some weakness found with their defensive front is going to be in their linebackers Walker's been a tackle machine but uh as I said I haven't really watched a lot of Browns games I don't know if he's a tackle machine because he's getting targeted a lot and he's bad or just because he's he's all over the field uh not sure which one because it's kind of like Al, Al do you know are you familiar with Alex Singleton of the Eagles uh yeah He's garbage. He's he's not really good. He gets targeted. He the pass rating against him is is like as high as it can be, and he sucks. Like he's just he's really good at tackling though, uh, and uh, he's a tackle machine, but he's just not good. So I don't know if that's the case with Anthony Walker. You mean uh, just like uh, oh what was the, what's the guy's name Zachary Cunningham from the <laughs> Texans? That's yeah. my thought on him. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Walker was actually a linebacker I looked at our first year doing this. Okay, I was gonna say I don't I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember a thing about him, to be honest with you. I'll have to check that at some point. But regardless, the linebackers I believe can be had a little bit. I like Najee Harris against them. However, I am very very concerned about the Browns defensive line against the Steelers' offensive line. And now it looks like Jadevian Clowney will not play in this game based on what we're seeing so far. Tack McKinley will probably not be 100%. However, they still have maybe the best defensive player in the league in Miles Garrett. Malik McDowell, who has come out of the out of the depths of looking like he was going to be a bust to becoming a really good player. Malik Jackson is playing well, and Andrew Billings is still playing well. And they've got uh, Tommy Togiai, uh, as a third string option. This is a very deep defensive front and even potentially minus Jadevian Clowney or Tack McKinley. This is going to be a very difficult team to block up both in the pass game and, and on the ground too. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be tough for Dan Moore going up against miles Garrett. That's not, that is not a great matchup uh, to say the least. So he's got it in front of him. Basically. I hope the Steelers give him help. Uh, get Pat Fryermuth out there, Eric Ebron, running back chip, something to to keep him uh, in check and then kind of hope that the rest of the offensive line does their job. Because, I mean, I don't think Jadavian Clowney's going to play, and that likely means that either uh, Afedi Odenigbo, I don't know how to say his name, or Joe Jackson is going to get the start on that side. And I, I'm not as worried on that side. I think uh, I think Banner or Okorafor more likely can handle that. I am still worried about Kendrick Green going against the guys in the middle. They've been uh, playing really well, but the biggest concern for me is Miles Garrett. I think that you kind of have to hope your offensive line can play it, play a little bit better against everyone else, and then give help with Miles Garrett. Yeah, I'd uh, you know throw the tight end on him, throw a running back on him, do both at the same time, run rollouts away from him, and. Uh, Try to see if they'll have him switch sides. I, I imagine he will at times, but I don't know why, if you're Miles Garrett in the Browns' defense, why you wouldn't want to have him on Dan Moore. Because even though Jacumo Okorafor isn't exactly scary for a pass rusher to go against, I'd rather go against the fourth-round rookie who's never played a player as good as Miles Garrett as opposed to Okorafor who's gone up against the likes of Von Miller, Miller twice, twice yeah. in his career and has held his own relatively well. So... You know, that seems like a pretty simple thing to do if that were me. But, of course, we'll see. I'm definitely concerned about Malik Jackson and Malik McDowell against the likes of Trey Turner, Kendrick Green, and Kevin Dotson 
I do think that this could be a game where Trey Turner, who I think has kind of turned his season around after struggling early on, I think he's been a solid player the last few weeks. Uh, I'm a little concerned about Kevin Dotson just because I feel like he hasn't taken that step that we all thought he was going to take. I mean, didn't it seem like after last year's play he was going to be maybe not a top-tier guard, but a guy that was going to be at least above average? It did. It did feel like he was heading in that direction because he was playing at such a high level. PFF loved what he was doing. This year, not so much. And now with Garrett... Uh, are you trying to do anything extra to take him out of the game besides chipping rollouts to the other side? Are you trying to run at him, get him double team? Like, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to, do you consider maybe situational play calls? Do you think about maybe changing things up a little bit where it's a, it's a second and, you know, a third and long. Do you think about a play action fake and going deep in this one or a, I don't know, a third and eight. Do you think about a draw on a third and eight just because a guy like him is going to get so far upfield? Yeah, I'm not, other than the chips and, and the uh, double teams, I'm not really, I don't really oh, have. hold. Tell, tell Dan Moore to hold. It's, yeah. Dan, it's okay to hold in this game. <laughs> yeah, if you have to hold to keep Ben from injuring his hip even more than it is or his pec, yeah, I get, yeah you do it. Uh, I'm not going to be super mad if Dan Moore has a really bad day. Okay, I, I might be mad if he has a really bad day, but like for a, 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 a normal bad day, he gives up like a sack, two quarterback hits. I, I don't know how mad I could be if the Steelers don't give him enough help. Here's the deal. I think Garrett has to have two and a half sacks or less. I think if he has any more than that, it's really bad. And really two and a half is bad too. But yeah, if you can keep him under two sacks, I think you consider that a job well done and hope that he doesn't get a ton of pressure. Because I, I, I got a bad feeling about this, Austin, that there's going to be – he's going to finish with, like, three sacks, but he's also going to have, like, four other plays where he's in the backfield, like, immediately. I can totally see it. Yeah, I, I, that's, I think that he's the biggest concern on defense, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, outside of that one major – disclaimer though i actually do feel i wouldn't say great about this offense but i feel somewhat better about their chances in this one do you think that they have a good chance to run the ball successfully i need to do my charting on that and i can come up with uh, numbers at some point here if you'd like uh sure but yeah i i do like their chances to run i as long as you're running away from miles garrett for most of the time i'm not saying run away the entire game but i i i do i did point out how i liked how the, the, their defensive line is playing, but I still think that the Steelers could take advantage. I'm not in love with everyone. I'm not in love with their linebacking core. I think if you could get past the defensive line, I think that uh, you can run the ball in this, even just straight up up the gut. Uh, up the gut, and I, I maybe some, again, just away from Miles Garrett. If Miles Garrett moves around the field, try and run it uh, away from him for most of the game if you can. Uh, but Actually, you know what's funny? I saw a chart the other day. I think I saw that that um, Miles Garrett isn't even playing that well against the run. His his run stop rate was was lower. All their all the Browns uh, pass rushers are really good at pass rushing, as as you'd expect. But uh, their pass rush their run stop win rate isn't the best. I wonder if I could find that chart again. I don't know, but still, I I I don't like testing around Miles Garrett, so I'm running away from him. Yeah, and 
I, I I imagine you'll see they haven't done it a ton, but I imagine you'll see some boots away from him too. Yeah, that'd be nice. Offensively, though, I think they can run the ball successfully while I'm trying to get that all totaled up here. Um, I still think this team is in order to in order to really have success. I think you have to have a minimum for explosive plays in this one. Uh, four plays would be solid. Uh, I, I don't trust the defense enough, but I, I, if we get four plays, I'd be so excited. Going back, I found the chart. Yeah, uh, Miles Garrett is a below average amongst like the edge rushers in, in run-stop win rate. So he's not... He, and is, I, that, I, is that PFF stats? I, I'm, I'm just curious. I sent it to you on Twitter. I don't think so. It's, got, it's from a guy named Seth Walder. I don't think he's with PFF. Oh, he's, I think he is. I think he's with ESPN. Uh, ESPN sports analy- analytics writer. Uh, yeah. Well, it's analytics, so we're we're big on analytics. Yeah. Here. Are, it's def- are we big on analytics? <laughs> Not the Steelers, but we are. Yes, we are. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So basically, all the Browns edge rushers, Jadavian Clowney, Takaris McKinley, and Miles Garrett, amazing pass rushers. They are in the top four, and they are two, three, and four in pass rush win win rate. Can you guess who they're behind? I'm sorry, what was that? So, uh, Takaris McKinley, Jadavian Clowney, and Miles Garrett are 2, 3, and 4 in pass rush win rate in the NFL. Can you guess who they're behind? Oh, uh, TJ Watt? It's just TJ Watt, yeah. They're, they're just... However, TJ Watt is all the way in the top right corner by himself for because the chart is pass rush win rate on the Y-axis, which is the up and down, and uh, run-stop win rate on the uh, horizontal axis, the X-axis. Uh, he's always he's on the right, which is a very good thing. He's by himself. It means he's good against the run and the pass. Miles Garrett is in the bottom ten, I believe. It's hard to count looking at this. He Miles Garrett is out of the three guys is the worst against the run. Takaris McKinley is a little bit better, and Shadavian Clowney is like just at average for run stops. So they they aren't as great against the run according to the analytics. Interesting. Do you think? I mean, it could be a case of them getting too far upfield, and I suppose. Yeah, something like that. Hmm. Overall, for this offense, what's a successful day? What do they have to do? Um, I'm looking for 23 points. I think 23 points is is a successful day, kind of for any game. I I have low expectations of them, but I think 23 points is a solid day. 27 if if there's a turnover. They, so they have to keep it at one turnover or less? Uh, yeah. Ba- basically, uh, if if they're putting the defense into a short field, they have to score more points. So I'm, I'm expecting them to put up 27 if, if they, they do. And the four explosive plays? Oh, yeah. Four explosive plays is, is a good number. I, I'd be happy with three. Um... Hmm. All right, should we go to the other side of the ball now? Yeah, sure. All right. On the other side of the, the ball, obviously Case Keenum not going to be starting this one. Baker Mayfield's going to be a full go. We've got the injuries at the receiver position with Jarvis Landry, Donovan Peoples-Jones, and Odell Beckham Jr., as well as the injuries on the offensive line with Jedrick Wills, J.C. Treader, Jack Conklin. I mean, there's a lot going on here. Nick Chubb, too. AAF legend Dearness Johnson carried the load for them last week, 
and I'd imagine even if Nick Chubb is going to play, Johnson's going to get the majority of the work in this one. Yeah, I I think I I still think Chubb I think Chubb is going to come back this week. I still I think Chubb is going to get the majority. I think he's going to play uh and uh, I don't think he'll be a hundred percent, but I think he'll be splitting kind of like how he does with Cream Hunt. But I, he's still the lead back, so I think that's how it's gonna work out there. But man, I it's just really tough out here. I mean, you look at like their their depth chart, and you just look at everyone that's injured. It's just kind of scary. Like they don't their backup center is on IR. Uh, Chris Hubbard's on IR. Another one of their guards went to IR. Then you have Willis, who's questionable. Conklin, who's questionable. J.C. Trider, who's these aren't official tags. Just, these are guys that are injured, I, I should say. And then the backup to all these guys. They have the same backup. They have a jack-of-all-trades called... Uh, his name is Blake Hans. He's the backup to... Uh, he's listed as the backup to Willis and uh, to uh, Teller and Conklin. And he is injured as well. Their backup. He's been limited all, all week so far. So it's just... It's going to be tough sledding for whatever running back gets the majority of the carries if all these offense linemen can't go because I, I I don't know who they would who they're gonna thrust into these roles if if like Wyatt Teller Willis and Conklin can't go. You still think the Browns are gonna run the ball a lot? I would imagine that they're going to to try to protect Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I I mean they're risking it by putting Mayfield out there when he's got a torn labrum and a broken bone in his left shoulder. I I understand it's the non throwing arm, but they are they are playing very dangerous. So I think that they should. I mean, the running has been their identity, and they're likely going to be out Odell Beckham. I'm not 100% sure on that. He got re-injured in the last game they played on Thursday. But uh, the, they'll only have Jarvis Landry, so it kind of goes towards... Um, it kind of goes towards running, even though their offensive line isn't that good. If they have Nick Chubb, I mean, that is one of your best players on offense. So I wouldn't be afraid of running just because the offensive line isn't up to stuff due to injuries. Now, on the other side, for Pittsburgh's defensive front, a unit that has struggled, especially in their last game against the Seahawks, to stop the run, how concerned are you about this Browns rushing attack, even if it's not necessarily at full strength? Um, I'm a little concerned, because I think Nick Chubb was one of the best pure rushers in the NFL coming into the season. It's been like a common talking point. It's like, who's the best running back? It's likely... Derrick Henry or, well, coming to the season, it's Christian McCaffrey, but and then Derrick Henry's in the conversation, and then, like, who's the best runner, and it was Nick Chubb. Now it's Henry. Now it's, it's just, you can't say anything other than Henry right now, but Chubb is a really good rusher, so it's going to be tough to stop him. I thought that the, the Steelers did a good job in every quarter besides the, the third against the Seahawks, so as long as they don't have that kind of breakdown, I will say that uh, Collins was having a lot of successful runs before the third quarter, because I, I, I was kind of charting them as we went. I was like, oh, that's another successful run for Alex Collins, that play. But uh, they did enough to get it to make the drive stop, and I thought they were doing a good job. So as long as they don't have that breakout third quarter where they stop nothing and every run goes for like 8, 9, 10 yards or more, uh, I, I feel a little bit better. And a big part of that was missed tackles, right? Now, missed tackles are something, how much better can they get? Do you think that it's something that can, it almost feels like a week-to-week thing where sometimes it gets better, sometimes it doesn't? Yeah, I can't see them missing 22 tackles again. I, I that, that had to be a focus in practice. Like, 
you guys missed 22 tackles. It's the most fundamental thing in, in football is tackling. Like, they, they're, I doubt they're going to let that happen again. I, I can't see it going over 18 missed tackles in this game. And that's 18's a lot. I'm, I'm hoping for 10 or less. Yeah, you have to think it's not going to be quite as bad in this one. Even that being what it is, I mean, Nick Chubb is an explosive runner. Dearness Johnson played well. Tackling is going to be of paramount importance, and obviously not just winning on first, uh, not just winning the running game in general, but winning on first down, I think. You want to put Baker Mayfield in these third and long situations as much as possible. Get T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith and who knows, maybe Melvin Ingram or Cameron Hayward in these favorable pass uh, rush situations. I do think if the Steelers hit Baker Mayfield a couple times early, he has this tendency to not trust his offensive line and bails out of clean pockets, and that plays right into the defense. So I'm frankly okay with him breaking the pocket in this one because I think that if you hit him early, he's going to either end up with more problems or he's going to bail on clean pockets to try to protect himself. And I think it's going to end up being favorable for the Steelers defense whenever he does try to yeah uh it's gonna be tough for Baker Mayfield out in these parts with the offense line in the state uh they were I mean we going back to the playoff game last year they actually did a good job the backups because a lot of the, their missing pieces were on the offensive line that I'm pretty sure they had James Hudson starting as one of their tackles who's still with the team but he says like the, he's a third string but um and they were able to hold the Steelers' pass rush in check. I don't see that happening, though, again. I think that was more of a, a fluke thing. It was at the end of the season, uh, the Steelers were more worn out. I, I And I think that uh, they're going to have a much better time, and they're going to be able to hit Mayfield. And that's, what, again, that's why I'm worried for Mayfield. I think in the next two weeks, I don't know if it's going to happen in the Steelers game or it's going to happen in their next game. He's going to be knocked out for the year. I have a bad feeling about it because the, the Browns are approaching this Really, really terribly. I know that it's mostly Baker Mayfield himself that wants to play, and I respect that. Like, he's really tough. He's playing through that injury. I mean, uh, a broken bone and a torn labrum, that doesn't sound doesn't sound fun, and he wants to go anyway, but them not shutting him down just for a little bit longer. I, I know that basically his only options are rehab or and surgery, if, and you get, if you get surgery, you shut down for the year, but... I don't know. I just think it's just such a dangerous game to be playing with a guy that you have to pay. He's like, he is your franchise quarterback. He might not be uh, Patrick Mahomes or, well, not as late Patrick Mahomes, but he might not be like one of the top three quarterbacks, top five quarterbacks in the NFL right now, but like he's the best they've had. And I really, I, I, I don't think it's good for them in the future uh, for them to be letting him go out there, but we'll see. I mean, you can't really predict an injury. What uh, I, That is kind of an interesting question to ask. What do you think the Browns are going to end up doing with him? I think they got to pay him. I, I mean, you got to pay him, and you got to pay him top quarterback money. This is how the NFL works. Even if you're not deserving, uh, you're going to be – some people are going to be paid the top quarterback in the NFL, and just you have to do that sometimes. Like when – I like Matt Stafford, but like when he was made the, the – highest paid quarterback in the NFL that was 100% not where he should have ranked I mean like yeah he was he's solid he's like basically the only good thing the Lions had but it's just part of uh, part of having a quarterback like if you have a good one you have to pay him I mean the, the Rams paid Jared Goff I, like and Jared Goff is awful so 
they have to pay him. I I don't I can't if the Browns want to go back to suffering with Tim Couch, uh, basically everyone in between 2000 and whenever Baker Mayfield was drafted, 2018, I believe, or 2019, 2017, one of those years. 2018. Okay, I was right the first time. If they want to go back to suffering, I I think that's just a bad idea. Like, I'm not, as I said, I'm not even that high on Baker Mayfield, but, like, they were going through a a lot of quarterbacks that are just not very good, and and Baker Mayfield finally gives them some stability at the most important position. I, I, I can't let, if I'm the Browns, I can't let that go. Well, I guess that's the important question to ask, right? If this were the, I don't know, if this were, if this were, I don't know, if this were the Colts instead of the Browns, do you think that they give him that extension? Uh, yeah. You do, really? Yeah, because I'm, I'm confused on what, because I was trying to process what that even changes. Like what's the different what what is the difference from the Browns to the Colts that would make you change your mind? The Colts haven't don't have that jersey that uh, you know signifies the twenty quarterbacks that have played for them. Baker Mayfield is is by all accounts what an average quarterback at this point. Oh, uh, okay, I, I see what you mean. You see what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. I, okay, so uh, that's what I was trying to process because it's like in my head I was like. Well, they have Carson Wentz right now, and I, I, I would like Baker Mayfield over Carson Wentz. But, um, okay, in terms of that, I, I don't know. I, I would say so. I mean, I'd, I'd still say so because of the Colts' need. If this was going on, it's just tough. No, I mean, no, no. I, I, I'm, just, I'm just talking about it from an, an institutional standpoint of – would a team that's forward-thinking, kind of like the Browns, they, a team like that that's forward-thinking probably at this point does not hitch itself to that type of quarterback. I mean, look at – I know the Rams did, but they regretted it. The uh, Eagles did, but they regretted it just because there was not a, a ton of great information. There was only some good information, and they banked on it. And Baker's kind of in the same ballpark. I'm saying I think a team like the Browns traditionally that's forward-thinking – one that thinks ahead of the game kind of like that would be more apt to say, okay, we'll just find someone that's better. But because it's the Browns, because it's the team that hasn't had a good quarterback before Baker Mayfield since freaking Bernie Kosar in the late 80s and early 90s, does that change things uh, in the way that they do things? Because you know, there's that fear of, shoot, it took us this long to finally find a guy. What happens if we don't find the next guy? You know what I mean? Does that make more sense? Yeah, it's tough because it's kind of like a 50-50 for most NFL teams. It's like mm-hmm. there are some teams that are going to want want to pay Baker Mayfield regardless of, and, and they won't have that same situation the Browns have, and there's going to be some that say we can find better and they might have a better chance. And the Browns, uh, with with the Browns, I just I think that they should because because of their history, and I I do. It's kind of like you know Baker Mayfield kind of reminds me of Kirk Cousins. I just don't hate Baker Mayfield as much as I hated uh, Kirk Cousins when he was with um the the football team, because uh, I I thought uh, I thought Kirk Cousins was completely overrated. Mayfield is like average, and everyone kind of is like yeah he's he's average. He does he does his job, but that's kind of what he reminds me of. And I mean the Vikings were st- still like we're gonna give. Her cousin's a fully guaranteed contract. So there's going to be teams out there that 
are definitely willing to pay Baker Mayfield top quarterback money even uh, at where he's at. So it's it's kind of like 50% of the teams will and 50% of the teams won't. But you think the Browns will? I think the Browns should. I don't know if they will. Do you think it's a good thing for Pittsburgh if they do? Um, no. I think uh, I think Steelers are better off if they have to go find another quarterback because they're not, they have really struggled in that department and especially with where they're going to finish this year at coming off a, a uh, they're going to be a mid pack team uh, or top of the, top of the uh, NFL team closer to there. The quarterback class sucks as far as we see right now. Uh, that could always change, but. Uh, they're not going to be in position to get one. So unless they get like Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson, uh, they are better off with with Baker. And so for the Steelers, it's better if they let Baker walk. Interesting. Hmm. I mean, All right. Well, outside of that... I mean, as, as far as the receivers go, I know that we don't know really well the availability of these guys but what do you think about you know the injuries at receivers you don't think obj is going to go but these guys on their own are pretty dangerous but they just haven't put up eye-popping stats recently yeah the browns have been really focused on on running and then between odell beckham and Jarvis landry have just been injured this entire year none of, neither of them could get healthy i still hold i i I don't think much of Odell Beckham anymore. Like, it's, it's just, he's an average wide receiver to me. Uh, there's nothing special about him. His one catch got him paid and uh, overvalued him for a very long time. Once he got to the Browns, he was nothing anymore. It, it was just, he's an average wide receiver. Landry is in a similar boat. Landry, I hated with the Dolphins. I thought he was overrated. I didn't understand the uh, like for him. He was a guy that ran... Uh, Oh my gosh, the Browns have him on their team, and uh, the 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 former Steeler. Why can't I think of his name? The one we traded for from the Raiders. Oh, Ryan Switzer. Yeah, Jarvis Landry ran Ryan Switzer routes, and I was like, that's all he did. Just two yards down the field, running it, running it, and just got a bunch of catches off of that. Never fan of his. Uh, Landry. I, I kind of feel like has mellowed out for me. Like I used to, I was just, I thought that Landry was one of the most overrated wide receivers in the NFL. Now he's just like, he's properly rated, but I still hold that the Browns should have traded Odell Beckham going into this season. But it, the, the statistics show that Baker Mayfield plays worse when Beckham's on the field and that shouldn't happen. It's just, it shouldn't. And they, Odell Beckham probably had some value coming into this year. I, what team wants him now? Like, like for, I'm sure some team will want him for like, cheap like but like they probably could have gotten a first round pick for him in the offseason but it's neither here nor there talking about actually how they play uh landry is going to slice and dice you he's just he does those underneath routes for the most part that are that they slowly they slowly cut into you like a little knife knife or a paper cut death by paper cut is how jarvis landry plays i'm not really worried about him uh i I think that the Steelers have done a good job containing uh, a team's best weapon If in the passing game. They're asking them to get beat by someone else. And 
therefore, and also Donovan Peoples-Jones is hurt. So now you have basically Anthony Schwartz, Rashard Higgins, Jarvis Landry, and maybe Odell Beckham Jr., and then whoever they decide to elevate from their practice squad. So I'm not really worried about their wide receivers. I don't really think much about them, even though Landry has gotten a little bit better for me. I, I just, I think that this game is going to be all about running. Now, what about the uh, tight ends? Because they've got three solid ones in Austin Hooper, David Njoku, and uh, Harrison Bryant, all three of whom played significant snaps the last time the Steelers played this team, and they actually were spreading the field with those guys. Yeah. Austin Hooper has one of the worst contracts in the NFL. That man does, like, nothing uh, lately, not this year. Um... Personally, I don't really, I, I, I don't, it's another case. I'm just not really worried about their pass catchers. Like, Austin Hooper hasn't done much since getting to Cleveland. Like, he did more last year, but now, like, he's just not really even doing much at all. Uh, I, David Njoku wasn't doing much either, and then he caught a, like, 86-yard touchdown or 83-yard touchdown, and he was, uh, and it kind of, like, boosted his stats, but. Also not great from him. I mean, we're looking at Hooper, who has 14 catches on the year. Hooper has 14 catches through eight weeks, and they don't have or through seven weeks, and they don't have their bye week yet. Like that's not that great. I'm not really worried about that. He's averaging about a catch and a half per game. Uh, Harrison Bryant, I like, I, I but he's not like the starter. I mean, he's he's tight end three for them, and that means he's not even really on the field for two tight end sets. Uh, I, I think that he has potential to be the best tight end there, but he only has seven catches. And then you look at David Njoku, I think, who has statistically the best. Statistically the best for Njoku. And he only has 17 catches. 17 catches for 284 yards and one touchdown. I think they all together have two touchdowns uh, on the year from the tight ends. Just not really worried about them. And... One of that one touchdown was on one play. Like he got eighty of his yards, or I'm sorry, it was seventy yards. Apparently, it was seventy-one. He got seventy-one of his yards in that touchdown on one fluke play. I'm not, not really worried about those guys because otherwise you'd have sixteen catches for two hundred and ten yards. Again, another guy that's averaging like a, a catch and a half per game. Not big on those guys. Not big on their pass catchers. Doesn't it feel like a guy like Njoku should be a bigger part of the offense, you know, throughout his whole career? I mean, I don't just mean this year. Yeah, I mean, he was drafted high and should have been. And, I mean, we had that saga where he wanted to leave because he wasn't. And, honestly, he probably should have just left. He probably should have made a bigger bigger stink to get somewhere else. But, um, yeah, Njoku's probably their best they got there. I think he's been playing better than Austin Hooper does make you wonder why they paid him all that money. And he's he's a fine blocker. I always said Austin Hooper was uh, the uh, upgraded version of Jesse James, but it just feels like, I don't know, it felt like a lot of money to give a guy that they should be probably playing a little more. He's still good, but I don't know. Yeah. Elsewhere, as far as their offense goes, uh, we talked about their offensive line. They do a lot of play action. I'd imagine that they're going to be relatively conservative, try to get the ball out of Baker's hands quickly. I still like the Steelers' chances of putting a lot of pressure on Baker Mayfield, given all of his issues and the offensive line struggles that the Browns have had with all their injuries. 
I have a hard time thinking the Browns are going to be able to put up a lot of points in this one. The big thing is obviously the running game. Can they run the ball successfully, and can they do it for a high average? Yeah, it's going to be ideal if the Steelers can stop the Browns' running game and then the Steelers can run themselves. It would be perfect. That's kind of what I'm hoping for this game. I'm hoping that the Steelers force Baker to throw, force him into uncomfortable positions where he can uh, where he could be hit. And, I mean, he's going to be thinking about that injury, I think. And then uh, n- uh, negate what Nick Chubb and Ernest Johnson do on the ground while the Steelers are able to control the ball and uh, establish a run game and rely on that. Hmm. Anything else with this offense you wanted to touch on? No, I don't think so. Okay. A good day for this defense is what? Uh. 20 points or less. 20 points. This is a team that, you know, the Steelers were unable to force a turnover the last time they played. They've done a good job running the ball. Top rushing offense in the league. I think you've got to get a couple turnovers in this one. It would be nice. It'd be nice to get a, a few picks on on Baker Mayfield while he's not at 100%. Again, I know it's not in his throwing arm, but it'd be nice to put him under pressure. All right, uh, shall we move on? Uh, sure. Oh, do you have anything to add for special teams? I forgot to ask. Um, I don't think so. In the meantime, I've been calculating uh, successful run rates for the Browns over the last four weeks. They were 18 of 28 for a total of 64% last week. Two weeks ago against the Cardinals, they were 6 of 15 Three weeks ago, they were 21 of 33 for 63%, and against the Vikings, they were 17 of 35, 48%. So two of their last four games, they've been over 60%. Two of their other four games, they were under 50%. So they are running the ball relatively successfully, and I give up with trying to find the rest right now. I should have done this before the podcast. It's it's complicated. It happens. It can be complicated. Yeah, It'd so be it's... really nice if it were more of a mainstream statistic. Would be nice. Maybe eventually people will get onto it. I mean, people are starting to get onto like running backs don't matter. I feel like more so. Maybe we'll get get more statistics because of that. I have some breaking news from Ian Rappaport. Sure. The Rams and wide receiver Deshaun Jackson have mutually agreed to seek a trade partner. Oh, interesting. That's kind of odd, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, he hasn't gotten a lot of. A lot of playing time. I mean, they have a lot of wide receivers and tight ends to get the ball to with Matt Stafford, so kind of makes sense. I guess he want he wants to play more because otherwise, why would you leave a really good team like that? I, I guess he just re- he wants to be a contributor. Elsewhere, Joe Rudder of the Pittsburgh Tribune Review has tweeted that Eric Ebron has been declared out with a hamstring injury. Melvin Ingram is officially doubtful. Oh yeah, we got the we got the injury report early today. Normally it doesn't come out till four p.m. Interesting. Yeah, Eric Ebron and Melvin Ingram are the only two on it. What happened to Eric Ebron? He got he, hurt uh, today. He came. He no. He popped up. Uh, popped up on uh, Thursday limited. Oh, it's Zach Gentry season, baby. Zach Gentry tight end too. I would assume that it was limited because he got injured during practice. Is my guess. Mm. 
So, Groin Club continues with uh, Melvin Ingram. Hell yeah. All right. Let's get into our picks uh, for this week. Uh, anything you wanted to touch on with last week's action? Nope. I think the only one I wanted to touch on was the Ravens and Bengals, and we already talked about it, so we're good. I'll dive a little bit deeper into that. I'm just going to say that Jamar Chase over Panay Sewell was the right choice, and I wasn't saying that it definitively would have been, but I was saying that the argument about blocking for Joe Burrow so you can throw to a receiver versus a receiver that can get open to protect a bad offensive line is kind of holding true in this one. Jamar Chase has changed that offense, and Panay Sewell would not have. It's fair. It is so. fair. And let me be clear, I for a long time have believed that the offensive line helps helps uh, protect the quarterback. Not saying that it doesn't, but I'm more and more opening, opening up to the idea that receivers that can get open are key in helping an offense protect a bad offensive line or protect a quarterback. I mean, look at... Uh, Look at, uh, oh, what's a good example of this? I guess, uh, I mean, I guess the Jamar Chase thing is a good example, but just receivers that can get open, Austin, that can create separation are so important. I mean, Joe Burrow last year was terrible at throwing the ball deep down the field, and this year he's connecting on like 30, 40-yard passes, which are so accurate, it's basically like he's walking down to Jamar Chase down the field and handing the ball to him. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, Jamar Chase has changed that. He's been able to get that separation so that he can, uh, so Burrow can place it there. Good for him. And furthermore, I would also like to hereby cancel drops as a flawed stat just because they do not translate from what we can see. Jamar Chase from preseason to regular season, Deontay Johnson from 2020 to 2021. Yeah. Yep. So things can change. It, it might be a yearly thing where, like, oh, over the course of the year, he might struggle with drops. Unless if you're Eric Ebron, you might struggle with drops. But <laughs> that that doesn't mean that it uh, kick a man while change. he's down. He's not even playing this week. <laughs> he's <laughs> he couldn't even injure the groin. It's an it's a hammy he injured. Should have been groin. True, true. Couldn't join so. the groin club. Am I crazy though? So uh, let me put it this way: I will be looking at receivers this year. And the ability to get open, a la Deontay Johnson, Jamar Chase, is going to be more important to me than winning contested pat, uh, catch situations like Chase Claypool because they do not translate as well. Yeah, that was something I was thinking about the other day. My original evaluation of Chase Claypool was he was all right. And, and, and like, first year he overperformed, now he's kind of back to where my evaluation of, of him was. So I was kind of thinking about that the other day. It's like... So maybe I did I did get it right for him because I, I last year he outperformed expectations for me. This is a guy that uh, you know just you feel like he needs to make more plays and he was drafted to do so. But I, I guess it's holding true that the most valuable aspect of a receiver is getting open. Yes, it's another reason that Nikhil Harry hasn't been a big deal because he can't get open. He's a contested catch guy and it just isn't enough. Yep, hated him. Did not like him. Not right. like him. J.J. Arcega white sides the same way. Gotcha. Uh, some NFL news real quickly. Wanted to mention that Mark Ingram was traded from the Texans to the Saints for a 2024 seventh. We mentioned that a little earlier. Roger Goodell was also reported to have made $128 million over the last two years. So that's, that's nice, man. 
Yeah, that's yeah, a lot of money. <laughs> um, all right, let's get into our picks this week. Thursday night football, Packers and Cardinals. We both picked the Cardinals to win and cover that six and a half point spread. The Packers come out and pull through with the win despite no Devontae Adams, no Alan Lazard. Good game. Still, still, still sounds like you're mad at AJ Green for that whole fiasco. Yeah, I'm mad at AJ Green because I started Kyler Murray, and Kyler Murray was not having a good day in fantasy. And then that final drive, he was having a, a, a he was decent, and like he was finally getting some points back. And even if he didn't get a uh, a touchdown there, there's a chance for overtime points to kind of rectify his day. But I mean, the t- I would have taken the touchdown either. And then AJ Green. Six, the time is 16 seconds left with no time out left. He's out there blocking. What did he think the play call would be? Did he like, did he think it was a run play? I don't even understand. Like it was 16 seconds left. He has to understand the situation where there's no time out to stop the game. There's no possible way it could be a run unless the Cardinals are really stupid, which I mean, I guess fair. I don't like their brass either, but like Manson... Like, he has to be smarter than that to know the situation. Like, even if he thought it was a run play, like, well, I'm out on the outside. Let me just run out for a route just in case. I Like, what, what was the worst thing that happened if the if the Cardinals actually called a run play? The guy from the outside might have made it all the way to the um, the line of scrimmage, made it, made it over there. No, I have no idea what A.J. Green was doing, what he was thinking, and I'm pissed about it because it just... A.J. I, I couldn't even take, like... Like, no points. I got minus points to Kyler Murray for that because interception. But, God, I, I'm so mad at A.J. Green still. That's a reason why you got to start charging receivers with interceptions. Yep. <sighs> Trash. Uh, let's uh, move on to an NFC South battle between the Panthers and Falcons in this one. Uh, the Panthers in a free fall. The Falcons looking better as of late are three-point favorites at home. Daryl Johnson and Terrace Marshall are out for the Panthers. Give me the Falcons to cover. I'm sick of picking the Panthers. I will not pick the Falcons for the rest of the year, so it should just already be assumed I'm picking the Panthers, even though I don't love them at all either. <laughs> uh, let's move to Dolphins at Bills. Two touchdown line for Buffalo at home against the Dolphins. I'm actually going to say I like the Dolphins plus the 14 in this one. Divisional games always tend to be kind of wacky. Yeah, they do tend to be wacky. Last time the Bills blew them out, though, and I think they still had two. Uh, so I'm picking the Bills to cover. Was that this year? Yeah, yeah. it was this year. They shot 35 this year. 35 nothing. Yeah. yeah. I don't like when divisional games are done before Thanksgiving like that. I say before Thanksgiving, before November. Yeah, I mean, that's happening with the Titans and Colts, too. The Titans and Colts already played. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. Uh, 49ers at Bears two teams underachieving maybe two teams certainly not playing up to where people thought they would be Khalil Mack is out for this one Um, Bears are a four point underdog at home to the 49ers who looks like Jimmy G is going to be playing in this one but Trey Lance was limited in participation I think I've seen enough of Jimmy G I think it'd be pretty much Trey Lance season now it should be. I'm going to pick the Bears plus four. Uh, I don't like, I really don't like either of these teams. This matchup just made me like, meh. Made me like, I was I was so mad that, not mad, but I was like, 
looked at this match and was like, this game is going to suck. Like, it's just, it, this, that game is a game I'm not going to watch at all because it just, it sounds unwatchable. I'm picking the Bears plus four, though. Agreed. I will do that as well. Eagles and Lions, two other lower teams in the NFC ranks getting together in this one. The Lions still looking for their uh, first one of the year. They are relatively healthy on their injury report. Obviously, they're down a bunch of different defensive backs. No Miles Sanders in this one. Anthony Harris doubtful for the Eagles. I like Detroit to cover, or sorry, to cover. To uh, I like the Detroit plus the three and a half here. I think they'll get their first one of the year here. I predicted them to win last week, but obviously I was wrong, and that was uh, kind of crazy to go with that kind of an upset. But they did started strong. Close. Yeah, they did start really strong. It was ten zero Lions at one point. Uh, I'm gonna pick the Lions plus three and a half as well. I. Not a big fan of where Philadelphia is at right now. I'm just not. I'm not liking how they're playing, and against the uh, certain opponents. So I'm gonna pick the Lions plus three and a half. Is Jalen Hurts the answer? Possibly. He's having uh, identical stats to Kyler Murray's first season. So I I think that uh, next year will be more telling for me if he gets that. If he he might not get past this year. Do you buy into the idea that a lot of his big numbers come after the uh, come after the game has been decided, like in garbage time? It's true. I mean, that game against the Buccaneers. I mean, he got a lot of he got a lot of stats from that. We'll see. We'll see going forward how he does. Let's move to Titans and Colts. Several injuries. Julio Jones has just been declared out of this one. The Colts are currently two-and-a-half-point favorites at home, which might be a bit surprising. I'm actually going to take the Colts to cover. Uh, They've been playing better as of late. The Titans coming off those two huge wins, I think they're going to be ripe for a bit of an emotional letdown. So I'd like the Colts to win this one and cover. Man, I really wanted the Titans to be favored in this game. I was just like, oh, when I was writing this game down, I was – before I wrote this game down, I was like, I'm picking the Colts plus whatever points at – because I know that the Titans are going to be favored. And then I saw the Colts were favored by two and a half. I'm like, oh, I don't like that. Because, I don't know. The Colts are playing for a lot right now. This is the only other time that they're going to be able to face the Titans. They lost the first time. Now, something I went over with my other friend with this specific game. This game could give the Colts a shot at the division. I mean, you, you look at, if the Colts can come out with a win, they're playing for a lot here. Uh, they'd be one game back, and their next two games are the Jaguars and Jets. I don't think in that order. I think it's actually Jets-Jaguars, but uh, then the Titans have to first the Rams, and I think the Giants. They have a shot, if they win this game, to get take control of this division over the next three weeks. So the, the Colts are playing for a lot, and which is why I was going to... Yeah, screw it. I'm taking the Colts to cover, too. I think the Colts are going to win it. I, they have a lot to play for, and the Titans don't as much. So I'm picking the Colts to cover. I originally had the Titans plus two and a half, but give me the Colts. I love it. I'm all about it. Go with your second gut feeling. Always do yeah. Alex Kazora on Twitter just said uh, Melvin Ingram for De- Deshaun Jackson straight up. Maybe. I mean, he's still fast. So I'd still like a, a seventh round pick in addition to that. But I mean, if that's the kind of receiver we're looking for, I'd take it. I mean, that guy can still move. Yeah, he's still fast. I was looking for I was hoping for someone younger, but I would take it. I think he's only on a one year deal and he's affordable considering what he does. Yeah, I think I don't think his contract is that much. I think it's three million or less. That's oh, definitely Jack. affordable. 
Yeah, I mean, Are if you you're moving that right now. Yeah, his uh, his contract is a four and a half million. Mm, that's contract. still not too bad. It's partially paid out, obviously, since yeah, he's that's played... true. It's prorated at this point. Yeah, it's it, it'd be basically like trading Ingram and, and Jackson is kind of like an even move. I mean, Ingram's a little less expensive, but you're not really spending more on Jackson than you were on Ingram. You aren't exactly looking to save uh, cap space at this point. This is why the cap space has already been saved. Yeah. Uh, Bengals at the one and five Jets, who are reeling right now. The Bengals are ten point favorites on the road. I like the Bengals easily. This is my lock of the week. I think uh, even if, even coming off the emotional win, the Jets are just so hapless and no Zach Wilson most likely. Uh, Mike White does not strike fear in me, and I don't think Joe Flacco is going to be ready to go. Yeah, give me the Bengals to cover. The Jets are just just as bad as they were last year. Maybe worse, honestly. Possibly, yeah. It's possible. Quite bad. Rams at Texans. Man, the Rams are getting served up another pretty bad team here. And they're... Excuse me. They're favored by 15.5 on the road. And this one is a a return for Tyrod Taylor coming? I don't think so. Not for this week. Uh, I am going to pick the Rams to cover with that being said. I, I just don't trust davis mills give me the rams as well patriots at chargers into the four o'clock slight four and a half point favorites are the chargers i like them easily to cover i'd i think i'd pick them by uh for a seven point spread that's what i would have anticipated yeah give me the chargers to cover as well i guess that they're really high on the patriots playing really good against the cowboys and then the chargers are coming off a really bad loss to the ravens after their bye week The Patriots have 15 players on the NFL.com injury report, and all of them were limited in practice. <laughs> That's lit. Certainly <laughs> interesting. Austin Eckler uh, did not participate in practice uh, this week, so he might not play. We'll see. Uh, that probably contributes to the um, line. To the line as well. Yeah. Yep, I do like the Chargers though. Jaguars at Seahawks. Seattle is a three and a half point favorite at home. The Geno, fighting Geno Smiths. I like the Jaguars in this one. The, this might be the first time this year the Jaguars have actually had a legitimate advantage at quarterback. And even though they're not a good team coming off the bye, I like them in this one. No, um, oh yeah, yeah, I like that. For me, I'm going to take the Seahawks to cover. I, I think that they played well against the Saints last week. They weren't able to pull it out, but uh, I view much more highly of the Saints than the Jaguars, so... So I'm going to pick the Seahawks to cover. Tampa Bay Buccaneers traveling to New Orleans, where they are four-and-a-half-point favorites against the Saints. Antonio Brown was apparently on crutches the other day, and Rob Gronkowski still has not fully returned to practice. I think this could be a sneaky game for the Saints to maybe not necessarily win, but get a backdoor cover here. I'd like the Buccaneers to win, but the Saints plus the points. I'm going to pick the Buccaneers to cover, and it's my lock of the week. I don't like where the Saints are at, so I'm going to pick Tampa Bay. Ooh, thank you for saying that. I, I made the Bengals my lock of the week. I don't know if I said that. You did. I did say that. I should know that. Am I missing a game here? I wrote these down, so probably. <laughs> I, I did. No, you didn't miss it. I did. Uh, Washington football team at the Denver Broncos. 
I just oh, oh, okay. Yeah, it's in between. All right. I was like, I, I typically somehow manage to miss every a game every week, but yeah. Okay. This time it was me, so uh, and it was right there for me too. So, uh, Broncos are field goal favorites hosting the Washington football team. No Curtis Samuel, no Sam Cosme, no Diami Brown for Washington. I like Denver to get back on the winning track here as Washington continues to be the most disappointing team in the league, in my mind, outside of Kansas City. I like the Broncos to cover. I'm going to pick the football team plus three. It's tough to imagine the Broncos going on a five-loss skid after starting 3-0, and but the teams they beat are, I guess, up to Washington's quality uh, when they were 3-0. and I still think... It's, this game is going to be close. I'm, I'm still going to pick a uh, football team plus three, though. Sunday Night Football, the Cowboys at the Vikings. The Vikings are a field goal favorite at home. Only Michael Pierce has been declared out of this one. This I feel like this is going to be a really good game, but I do like the Cowboys plus the three. I actually think it's going to be a push, technically. I think the Cowboys will uh, win by three. Hmm. Or you mean keep it within three? Yeah, that's what I mean. Ah, okay. Yeah. So I'm picking the Cowboys plus three as well. I, I also agree that I think this is going to be a good game. And finally, Monday night, a game that is surprisingly featuring two teams with losing records, the Giants at the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs are favored by nine and a half. I came really close to picking the Chiefs here, Austin, but boy, oh boy, even with the Giants offense as bad as it is, the uh, the Chiefs' defense is so bad, I could still see the Giants putting up 30 points without much work. <laughs> so I like the I like the Giants plus the 9.5. It's so tough. Like, I'm trying to, like, erase everything I know about the Chiefs because it doesn't apply anymore. It's like their offense is just not playing like it was last year or the year before. Their defense is the worst we've seen in the past three years, even though it's never been really particularly good. It was serviceable at least. It's so tough. Like, it's really hard. And that that being said, I can't not, and I'm going to pick the Chiefs to cover. I, ugh, I just don't like it. I really don't like where Kansas City is at. But it's really hard for me to not, to, to keep p- picking against Patrick Mahomes to not do better. And then the defense to just not have one lucky break uh, for one game. So I'm going to pick the Chiefs to cover. All right, uh, shall we get into our usual wrapping up with the uh, X-Factors, bold predictions, final score? Yeah, sure. So I'll I'll start off. Um, so for my X-Factors, I'm picking Najee Harris and Cameron Hayward. I think the key to winning in this game is going to be running the ball. I think that if Najee Harris has a good game, uh, the Steelers are very likely to come out of this with a victory because it's ball control football, I feel like. I want to keep... The ball from the Browns, I want to have good long drives, have Nashi Harris running successfully. I think he'll be the difference maker. As for the other side, I picked Cameron Hayward uh, to put Baker and Case Keenum under, or Case Keenum under pressure. The reason I write or Case Keenum is, as again, I still have that weird feeling that Baker Mayfield's not going to be able to finish the game in either this week or next week, but uh, Baker Mayfield's got that injury. If you hit him, it's go it's going to affect him, and that's why I picked Cameron Hayward, who's been, uh, likely a top two defensive player for for the Steelers this year, uh, him and T.J. Watt. So, uh, I picked him to possibly, uh, make those plays, get 
quarterback hits, disrupt them, make Baker worried about getting hit. Uh, then as for my bull predictions, I'm going to have Nashi Harris with 200 plus scrimmage yards. I'm going to have Hayward getting five quarterback hits in this game. And then I have as a third bull prediction that the Steelers are going to score 19 unanswered points at some point in the game. Uh, that will lead me to my final score. I still don't believe in the offense enough. I just, I don't, I think that there's going to be at least one turnover here, likely two from the Steelers offense. And I think I am going to have the Browns win 27 to 19 in cover. I, I'm not sure how I want the 19 point run to happen. I, I Hopefully like, at the end. <laughs> I yeah. mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But I, I thought of it. I was like, this really feels like a game where they're going to be down like 27 to zero and they'll score the 19. But uh, it, it, it would be much more disappointing if they started 19-0 and they let the Browns come back and score 27. So I don't know exactly how I had that happen. I guess it could happen in between as well. But, uh, yeah, that was all my stuff. How about you give me yours? Oh, that would be crushing if it were 20 to nothing, then 20 to 19, and then it was yeah. 19. Um, it, the way you laid that out, it could end up being very similar to, like, the wild card game too. Yeah. Hmm. My X factors in this game are as follows: Dan Moore on offense and Devin Bush on defense. Dan Moore, we we talked a bunch about it already. Austin, this guy has the biggest assignment of the week, maybe of the year, in blocking one Miles Garrett, one of the best defensive players in the entire league. And even though he's probably going to get a lot of help, this is a guy that can wreck a game just on his own merit. And being able to contain him, even a little bit, is going to be a huge deal. And the Steelers shut him out. Granted, it was uh, in that playoff game, which was kind of odd, and he wasn't 100% after coming back from COVID. But they got to find a way to shut him down, and Dan Moore's going to have to be a big part of that. He better be ready. On the other side, Devin Bush is a guy that has not lived up to his top 10 pick billing, and he's got to start making plays, and this is the perfect opportunity to do so. Big AFC North matchup. Season's not on the line, but it's a really important game. He needs to show up big time in this one, slow down the Browns' number one ranked rushing offense. Bold predictions are that Miles Garrett finishes the day with one tackle and zero sacks, and Devin Bush finishes with two forced turnovers, and number three, I have the Steelers blocking a punt or field goal in this one, some sort of kick. But finally, all in all, looking at this game, I do have a tough time thinking the Steelers' offense is going to be able to put together enough with the pressure that the offense is probably going to face in the passing game. I have a tough time thinking the Steelers won't turn the ball over a couple times in this one. And even though I think the defense will play well, I think that it's not going to be enough against a Browns team that I just think is more talented at this point. So hopefully I'm wrong, but that is what I think. I have the Browns winning 27-21 to and covering that 3.5-point spread. Any final things to get to here, Austin? Uh, no, I think we're good. All right. Uh, stay tuned. I'm going to be having our good friend John Gehring on for an interview later on today. We're going to be talking about this game from the Browns' perspective and hearing what he has to say about that. Always love having John on the show, and uh, I'm sure he will give us our give us his best when it comes to this game, and I'm sure he'll be looking forward to this game as well. Uh, Austin, thank you for joining me today, and uh, we'll be back. Uh, do we want to try to do this on Sunday night, uh, try to get a recap in? Yeah, I think that sounds good. Alrighty then, so we'll be back on Sunday night, probably posted on Monday, recapping the Steelers 
win or loss or tie against the Browns. Until next time, thank you as always for listening to the Stronger Than Steel podcast with Austin and John. Until next time, have a good one. Bye. You have been listening to Stronger Than Steel podcast. Thank you for joining us today and don't forget to check out our website listed in the description below.